0: Kuzu Zangbo, you are listening to Bhutan Dialogues, a platform to discuss ideas and issues in development. Bhutan Dialogues is a joint initiative of the Lodin Foundation and the United Nations in Bhutan, held every second Thursday of the month in Thimphu. I am Karma Pinso, the host for the Dialogues, and my guest for this session is Pedin of Tarayana Foundation to discuss rural development. This dialogue has three parts. Mr. Rudolf Schenk of UNICEF in Bhutan will introduce the session, followed by my conversation with the guest. The session ends with a Q&A with the live audience.
1: Welcome to the UN House. Uh, Happy New Year. One of the... I'm sure so many of you had Happy New Year's, right? I think it started already in December and it's still ongoing. So, welcome also from my side, as, as Subhash said, on behalf of the resident coordinator who's currently on holiday. On my behalf, as... Part of UNICEF um, and very happy by the way to see so many young people here so it's really very special and gives a lot of positive energy so for those who are new um, it's a concept that was started with Logan Foundation it happened three times already it's an open space that we are creating in the UN house where we want to exchange with, with leaders change makers the objective is to listen to discuss uh, important subjects for the country um, on social progress, on development, and the theme today—that's why you're here—is developing villages and migrating to towns, which I think is very relevant and you actually stimulated my thinking as well. When I thought about migration, I had this vision of you know early human mankind. Uh, we all migrated at one at one stage, and no one would be in this room without human migration. So it really goes back to the beginning of time. And I also thought about, is it positive or negative? And of course, it can have a lot of negative implications. It can lead to decline of population in rural areas. It can lead to conflict between communities about land. But I think it has a lot of positive implications as well. Migration can, can drive urbanization. can drive innovation in cities. It can bring economies of scale, which improves medical services, education. It can bring cultural progress. So, so there, there are always two sides to it. And it's global. It's happening everywhere almost. I'm from Germany. And as you may have seen in the news, it's a big topic in, in Europe as well, migration. But it's very relevant for Bhutan, and that's what we will discuss today. So I have a lot of questions. What's the situation in the country? What are the factors? What are the implications <coughs> what will the future bring? So I hope you know we will get... Um, Stimulating discussions and, and questions and answers. So, really looking forward to the discussion. But first, of course, let me introduce our guest speaker, um, who may not need no introduction, of course. I mean, you are very well known, Om Jimmy Panambondi, the Secretary General of Tarayana. So, it's a pleasure to have you. And what I didn't know, you're a hottie culturist by profession. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the flower arrangement is okay in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and you have worked in many various capacities in the Ministry of Agriculture before then being seconded to head Tariana in 2005. And you are also on several boards I learned, Royal University, Royal Institute of Management, Bhutan Transparency Initiative, so these are very important functions. You're also a member of the Least Developed Country Independent Expert Group and, and have worked closely with the UN, including with UNICEF, of course. And I was very, very impressed also personally when I visited Tarayana-supported projects in the rural areas, so I have a high respect for the work of Tarayana. You have university degrees from the US, Thailand, and India, so quite global as well. And our host, who may also need, need a lot of introduction, <coughs> but just to say, Karma Funzo, so, you studied Buddhism in Bhutan India, um have university degrees from England and worked as a researcher in France and England. You have founded the Loden Foundation to promote education and entrepreneurship. And we as UNICEF are also collaborating, so we are very privileged to also work with Loden Foundation. And you have published a number of books, translations, reviews, and articles on Buddhism, Bhutan, and Tibetan studies. When I look at all these credentials, I feel very small. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I will stop talking now, so it's a pleasure to have you, and with all of this I'll hand over to the host. Thank you for joining us. This is
0: the fourth session of Bhutan Dialogues, and the first one in 2018. Um, this forum we hope to be a space for civil conversations to mainly reevaluate our own assumptions of development and progress, to sort of refine our understanding of what we're doing perhaps update on certain issues. Um, And also ask more questions about the past we have come from, the present that we are living, the future that we will be um, going towards. It's a a great great honor for us to have you, because you have been um, an exceptional Bhutanese woman, female leader, especially engaged in development. And you have seen, I think, during the course of your working life, the social, political, cultural transformation Bhutan has gone through. So one of the questions that we always ask our guests is also to tell us your story. What made you who you are right now? That there's some specific personal experiences that triggered you on your path? How did you turn into a development CSO leader from a horticulturist, for instance? So uh, please share with us uh, your own story and to give us some uh, interesting insights into what's changed you to, to make you who you are. Because we here normally have a lot of young audience, and what we are really hoping to uh, do is also give the young minds a role model to follow. And I think for lots of young Houthis, you are a very good role model. Thank you, Doctor. I
2: think that's a very generous introduction. I don't think I deserve that. Having said that also, um, as a Bhutanese, I think uh, we're privileged in many ways that we had uh, education opportunities when we did. And uh, I keep telling all the young people who pass through my office. I keep telling them that they have to just take up, seize up on any opportunity that comes by, and don't just think it's uh, this is good, that is not so good. The good and bad is made up in our mind. If you apply yourself to any situation and make the best of it. That turns out to be good. In my own case, of course, I was literally driven by my mother uh, who didn't get uh, school education herself, but she had the privilege of having studied a little bit of uh, smattering of Hindi and a little bit of Dzongkha. So she was taught her to read and write in our own context, but I guess there was a yearning for education uh, as far as my mother is concerned. I'm the oldest of six children. All of us were goaded into taking, going and doing our best in whatever field, uh, at least academically. She said you have to do, study as much as you could. So when I completed my class 10, my aunts, my dad's sisters turned around and said, well, you're a girl. I think you've had enough education. Uh, there are these nice boys in our neighborhood. Maybe you should, uh, you know, get married and settle down. My mother took one look at me, and she shook her head in the background. So she shook her head and said, no, you're going to go and study as much as you can. And that choice is yours. So I, mean, I guess it's with these small nuances and guidance that uh, is provided timely uh, support from family members in the initial years. And of course, uh, that's exactly what I intended. Uh, my mother was keen that I study medicine she was sort of not a very strong constitution, didn't keep very good health so she felt that uh, there are many women like her who would need support from a doctor. So I took one look at her and said, I can't stand the sight of blood. <laughs> I feel giddy when I see sick people, too many sick people. You know? So I don't think I've cut out to be a doctor, but my mom wouldn't hear anything of it. So I just took up science and did whatever you know, till class 12. And after that I did a nice uh, uh, a reversal, and I said, see, if you can keep people healthy, you study it. and this thing was uh, with uh, Tasha Tashalampenju, he said, our country desperately needs horticulturists. I didn't know what a horticulturist was at that point in time, so I looked it up in the dictionary, and it says, someone who works in with flowers and fruits, and sort of, you know, I said, okay, that's good. Flowers are beautiful, fruits you can eat. So if you're working in a field that uh, provides healthy food, That's a good start. So I was quite convinced that this was something I could do. So I went and I convinced my mother. Not really convinced, also, she wasn't convinced actually. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But I told her, see, I would rather that our country have enough food, good fruits, uh, so that people are healthy and they don't need to go and see a doctor. So maybe that's my life's agenda. (laughs) That's how I went into this. Uh, horticulture field but uh, having said that I was the first technical uh, uh, horticulturist with a four year degree from India Uh, and it was at a time when there were not that many women in the technical areas so I remember, still remember the first annual conference that uh, I attended where the minister uh, introduced and the minister said well you know, it was, uh, it was time for lunch, and they were announcing lunch, "lady and gentlemen." Mm. <laughs> That—that was the scenario. <laughs> it was, it's uh, not ladies and gentlemen; it's just lady and gentlemen. And so, but Bhutan is such a place that even being a single person, you still—if you did your work diligently—you were given the space to plan out your activities and carry it through and succeed at them. So when kids these days, the young girls who come in and say, oh, because we're girls, we don't get this or that, I'm a bit worried because I don't know where that is coming from because that didn't happen during our generation. I think um, there was a lot of rough talk in office and things like that, but if you gave it back in kind, then you were left alone. So sort of you learned the tricks of how to stay focused on what you needed to do, and uh, that's important.
0: What took you from a highly specialized profession of being you know, of horticulturist to
2: become the Secretary General of Tarayana? Well, command, come on. <laughs> no, but jokes aside, uh, my work was always, uh, even as an agriculturist or a horticulturist, working in the agriculture sector, you were engaging with farmers and you were working with the grassroots. So my work didn't mean that I was sitting at the table and chair. meant interacting with the farmers on a personal level and then finding out 1st what their needs and requirements were. And the more I engaged in that area, I realized the limitations of how a sectorial approach could uh, at sectorial blinkers, and they weren't talking to each other. There were all sorts of silos. It's the same farming community, the same population uh, that we were targeting, but then... Forestry would come and say, "Okay, you have this land. Why don't you turn it into a social forest or something like that?" Then livestock would come and say, "Convert that into pasture and grow, uh, raise cattle." You know, so the messages were all very mixed. And <coughs> also very we would think that rural farmers are not intelligent or clever. That's our biggest mistake, because they've survived on the land for centuries. And they know better than most of us who've just come back with book knowledge and think we know we have all the answers. Uh, so they're clever. They'll take your program, the horticulturist program, everyone's program. In the end, they don't do much work, but they've taken all of the, you know, the projects and they said they'll deliver on those projects. But maybe uh, they don't necessarily do that. So the impact, the positive impact that should have come with all of the input. Uh, it wasn't coming, and so when we dig in a little deeper, we realised that the messages are mixed. The integrated approach would be something that needed to happen. So, in the Ministry of Agriculture, we worked very hard in trying to get that integration going. Uh, and it was around that time when Her Majesty, in her capacity as the Patron for Agriculture, the R&R sector, and the Environment sector. Uh, uh, the royal children were all out uh, studying in colleges and so there was a little time and Her Majesty trekked to many of the rural areas personally to get a first-hand experience of what uh, life in these remote corners were like. Uh, she didn't believe us when we told her about, you know, but we have all those in reports. reports. So, well, the reports are one thing, but I've got to see for myself. And so that... Uh, started sometime in 1998, 99, and got really uh, active in 2000. And so uh, that initial period uh, where we were trying to figure out, how do we then link what's required on the ground with what the government can deliver? And that's when the foundation, the Tarayana Foundation, the seeds were sown for the foundation but it wasn't until 2003 when the foundation was officially launched. At that time I was head, uh, heading the policy and uh, planning division of the Ministry of Agriculture, a job that was already uh, quite uh, uh, tedious. Uh, you're responsible for a very large sector and then responsible to... We're in an agrarian country, so definitely a large number of people were dependent on decisions from that office also. so initial three, two years or so uh, as a volunteer at Tarayana had my full-time work, then came home and did the volunteer work and something had to give and the giving of course, uh, it was easier to give up the government uh, job and move on to Tarayana because the service platform of Tarayana is such that you can actually connect with the needs of the rural uh, rural people and try and uh, deliver, it's more like UN delivering as one because the, the needs on the ground are integrated and so if there was any platform that provided that to uh, us at that point in time, now of course we have quite a lot of other civil society organizations also trying to help and that's a good thing. So um, it's a wonderful thing that
0: Tarayana uh, uh, started and you uh, took this integrated approach to development especially in rural areas uh, through Darayana. But. It's also rather sad that, uh, instead of changing the main public uh, engagement with the rural communities, making the public institutions change for an integrated approach rather than this distributed silo approach, Was the public institution, bureaucracy, too difficult to deal with to change their system into a holistic one?
2: Not exactly, because, I mean, the agriculture, if you look at the history of how agriculture in the country has evolved, the ministry, the departments, how it has evolved over time, we tried the integrated approach, then it it depended so much on Mm -hmm. the leadership of the time. Mm -hmm. And so with each change in the leadership, the entire system just, Uh, you know, uh, disintegrated or coalesced together it wasn't necessarily a structural system that was fixed it was more Uh, personal, personal, uh, driven by personal commitments and uh, uh, I don't know as a civil, having been a civil servant I'm still listed as a civil servant so uh, it gets a bit tricky when people are territorial about who gets to do what and no one wants to step on each other's toes, and so sort of they're kind of, not necessarily uh, speaking frankly, and really and trying to see who would be best suited to help uh, reach services in, in these last mile areas. So uh,
0: you raised a very important uh, question in development, and that is really coordination of efforts. It sounds like we still lack in having a survey, unified uh, coordinated effort to address issues. And that's partly the reason why we are also having this forum, that we need people to come together and discuss issues, to uh, thrash out the issues and challenges. Um, what is your perspective on this? Are the public and the NGO or even private uh, agents of change, not coordinating enough, not uh, adopting a multidisciplinary approach to development, but rather working on their own silos using just uh, one sort of single approach. Do we need to have more of such discussion and consultation, or are we doing too much talking and not doing enough? <laughs> uh,
2: yes, to all of them multiple choice questions it's <laughs> partially true on all fronts no? we are doing a lot more talking than is necessary, action on the ground seems to be quite uh, different from the commitments on people we have a lot of very good policies that are you know, lingering on the draw somewhere in the, for the lack of resources to implement it, if you have a policy instrument then who are the identified policy of and who are the enforcers? How are those policies then translated into action? So while we have a lot of very good uh, policies, I think our government has done a wonderful job of uh, taking the best from everywhere and trying to uh, make it adapted in a manner that fits the Buddhist condition and our context. So in that regard, we have some of the world's best and most progressive policies um, it's just a matter of now finding the resources to set up institutions that can then implement those policies and carry them through. And, and, and those are things that cannot be done by individuals or cannot be done by uh, as, as dedicated an organization as we are very passionate social workers. It's not our job and not our mandate in the first place. But having said that also, we can contribute and we can uh, show by example, very quietly, silently, in the rural areas, bringing about uh, change, and then we show them by doing that it can be done for a a fraction of the cost that uh, the government might have uh, assumed it would cost. We're able to deliver services to the satisfaction of our uh, end users. So when those things come about, uh, for instance, just recently, we uh, Tariana was uh, working in collaboration with the government on two projects: the Nafa uh, to the second phase two of Nafa uh, and uh, Ring 2. So the, the evaluations are going on at the moment. Uh, GNFC and uh, the director, the, the program coordinators, program officers—they've been to the fields where Tariana was implementing these. And so slowly, rather than us trying to convince them that we can do it, we do it and we say, okay, then during the evaluation phase, they can see for themselves the results that they're on the ground. They interview, will get to talk with the people and see, okay, you've done this much, but if you had a little bit more resources, it could have gone a little deeper. You know, so things like that come about only through, um, uh, <coughs> even for the evaluators, it's experiential. They have to feel it. They have to... Uh, really buy into this concept that uh, it isn't about just having the money or the resource to get things done. It's also a lot to do with commitment. And that's what uh, uh, the recent findings, I think they're quite happy. Uh, we're fortunate that they're happy. Uh, so we hope that next phase uh, will be engaged as well. <laughs> that's yet to be seen. So let's go to the grassroots that are
0: engaging What is the current scenario of the Bhutanese country, the rural uh, countryside? We get a a lot of impressions that people are uh, deserting the villages, that some villages are having as much as 60, 70% of the houses vacant. A lot of young people coming to the urban uh, settlements. So what is life really like? Can we get a more accurate picture of what the Wishes, the aspirations of the rural people who think you are always engaged with them. So, what is your
3: take on this? Are they very pessimistic about the future or very optimistic? Not, not really. They are a hard
2: And the youth in, in involved also. Very engaged in the well being of their own community. So, we've worked very hard in trying to inspire young people you know, to seek out a role for themselves in their own community, to see how they can be useful in the community through our uh, the volunteer, the school club program, through uh, volunteer engagement programs. So these are slowly being, being off. After 15 years we've suddenly see a lot of young people interested in rural development and they're asking questions, they're asking the right questions, they're asking uh, politicians about how what changes they're going to bring, and whether if you know the community has been taken on board, and they're asking questions during meetings, and this constant need to know and seek answers, I think is also something that young people can do better, because the older generation grew up at a time when they just did what they were told, more or less, or didn't do. They listened and then didn't do anything about it. So we uh, are at this task where. Uh, young people are slowly beginning to figure out for themselves that if they are active in the community, they are respected and regarded by their own people, and that's a big boost to their confidence. And if they can serve their own community, then then they say, why can't you know, why can I not serve a little further afield? So that confidence grows, and that's a it's a good uh, opportunity for young enthusiastic uh, social workers or uh, agents of change to uh, find their own grounding. Uh, With regards to the deserted villages, is currently working in close to about 350 villages and we've not come across any deserted villages because we are working in the most remote and the most uh, uh, economically disadvantaged communities. That scenario is also changing very rapidly. In the last 15 years, or so so many of these villages, once deemed remote, are now connected by motor roads. the The, the telephone connectivity has expanded. These uh, internet facilities have expanded. So, once they are connected, they don't feel that remoteness anymore. They don't feel that they're on their own. They feel that at a call of, you know, at the, at the touch of uh, their phone, they can connect with government agencies, service providers with their suppliers. So it doesn't feel as if the uh, country is as remote, you know, the communities are as remote as they once used to be. But having said that, I understand this question coming in, this, that a lot of uh, larger villages in the east that have been deserted over time. And it's not desertion per se uh, in search of uh, jobs or things like that. That first wave of educated people came and worked in government in various portfolios and, set, and came to Tempo along with the, the government jobs that they had and they, they settled down here. They didn't go back. The aging parents then came and joined them for the you know, end-of-life experiences well with their children. And so that's how houses got left behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it was something that could move, I'm sure they would have moved it with them. Mm -hmm. But uh, having said that we have several proposals on how these villages could be revived or how these villages could be uh, uh, shared with those who are still in the community and might not have decent dwellings, might not have decent Uh, living, maybe turn these into... uh, Guest houses, home stays. There's so many uh, options of how we could use uh, this infrastructure that is already. Because these are fairly the to uh, families who have not gone back, because their kids and their grandchildren. and <laughs> don't think they, they see uh, the need to go back and live in those houses. But in the communities where Tarella has worked, they've never really owned a home. They're just living in you know small one room thatched uh, huts. That uh, over time uh, they've now converted, they've worked hard um, and mobilized them, provided a little bit of a uh, push and a pull uh, and sort of helped them with their permits and help them with the land registration and things like that, the technical aspects of it. And now that they have proper homes, they shouldn't want to come back. They have restrooms. The said, is not as bad and uh, they have better living uh, situations and better food uh, in the rural areas, in their own villages than they have here sharing a uh, one-room flat uh, or, or you know, taking rooms and sharing with multiple friends and struggling in their search for better better And Suddenly something goes above clicks and they says, well, life in the village, if we can find something useful to do, and then particularly in the areas where they come back to assist in all take part in the programs that we've set up and so they're now running uh, a lot of these self-help groups and also the micro-enterprises that are coming up in the so long as we can give them some uh, tasks some responsibilities
0: You brought up a very important cultural Um, issue to me, the issue of self-esteem and dignity, to have a dignified, esteemed life in the village itself. And it seems there are many factors contributing to that, Uh, things like communication, facilities, uh, living standards, of course, having proper houses. What are the other things? I mean, this is a very important topic, that if we were to encourage people to remain in the rural communities. Which is, I think, very important for the overall economic development, cultural um, stability, and so forth. Then we need to really think through carefully, rigorously, on what are the different factors that make young people find their self-esteem and dignity in living in a (coughs) village. Seems that in a certain industry but. We still know from the uh, reports, particularly the recent uh, poverty analysis report 2017, that rural poverty is still much higher than urban poverty. So, if people were going to have poor lives living in the villages, it is quite natural that they would opt to come to an urban settlement. Uh, what are the main issues you think that we should deal with? How can the public sector, the NGOs, Engage
2: in order to eliminate poverty?
3: It's
2: a very good question. I think uh, UNDP is asking that globally as well. (laughs) But um, coming down to our own uh, scenario, um, there's another interesting development that's happening in the rural areas. There are lots of retirees, well educated, respected Mm -hmm. retirees, who are now opting and choosing to go back to their (coughs) villages. Earlier, it used to be that they would settle down in people or in the vicinity and don't go back to their roots. Now, if you ask uh, civil servants who are retiring or from the armed forces who are retiring, they their first option is that they will go back uh, to their own communities. In order to... You know, in this, this conversation, we should, if we had asked the same question about 10 years ago, the answer would be quite different. Mm-hmm. Now we have this big pool of people, experienced people, who can go back and be leaders in their community. Mm-hmm. And that gives us a lot more uh, optimism in how this trend of migration, young people have to exper- experiment and experience. and They should come to the cities, add new, uh, this, bring in their enthusiasm and uh, their uh, stamina and strength in new and budding startups. That's only natural. The world over, that's what mm-hmm. drives, like you mentioned, you know, the entire migration. that's what drives it. But that does not mean they're packing up long stock and barrel and coming. They just look for a green, you know, good opportunity, go and seize that opportunity, make some money, and then they want to come back and reinvest mm-hmm. it in their community. That's how it should be. So now that mm-hmm. they the, more important question is if we, as the older citizens, can show that lead that trend of going back to our roots and supporting causes back uh, home, Shambhala um, would be a very rich place by now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We have some of the top-notch, uh, you know, politicians or government bureaucrats or in the armed forces, lots of people from Shambhala. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the past, there was no actual input back into their roots, and therefore, Shenlong remained uh, pretty distant uh, from the book. But if you look at every single part, individual we talk about an influential people. Their roots are uh, from Shenlong, somehow connected to Shenlong. So the, just a reminder, I just threw in Shengeng as an example, but mm-hmm. I mean, that is true. Well, it's a good
0: example, I think, because it is considered as one of the poorest on in the country with many successful citizens uh, living outside of the district. Um, that, that being, that's also
2: very true, but this, that is, I mean, again, when you talk about poverty, there's the different tones to poverty. Mm-hmm. You talk about, um, yeah, if you're talking about economic poverty, I don't know whether a would fall under that, because the opportunities are endlessly. It's just that the, the potential is there, no one's there to tap that. No one's there because they're all outside. In what, uh, case of uh,
0: people going back to their original homes or um, and also the case of uh, the engagement of development agents in the communities one thing that strikes me is the uh, cultural notion you know, culturally Boutini's are very um, sort of connected to their <coughs> original homes they have a strong sense of belonging to the land the uh, ancestral home in the same way, when we engage with these rural communities where you have a very strong cultural system, cultural structure in place, development agents often fail to see the cultural sort of nuances. And some of our projects get, of course, um, I mean, they fail because of the lack of cultural understanding. So in both these areas, is there more work that we need to do to leverage the cultural uh, understanding, the cultural... Uh,
2: definitely, definitely. And uh, this brings to mind uh, the one particular project that uh, Tarain is trying to uh, design <coughs> together with the community in Jambi. Um, this was in the early days and we were quite excited. We finally managed to find uh, a small uh, fund, small donation, and we thought we could get started with this uh, particular project that little made which was designed entirely by the community themselves and of so that was a crop they knew they, they were familiar with and they wanted to do it. And yet when uh, we, Tariana yes. sent our two uh, field officers who had been sent to India to learn how to do the processing and the weaving of it and uh, went back to the village but they were adamant they didn't want it. And this is happening from an NGO that we pride ourselves at being able to understand the uh, social nuances of our communities. And they called me, because the nearest uh, telephone was two hours walk from where they were, they went to the roadhead and they called the office and they said, well, but uh, the community here now doesn't want this project. And so I said, "Uh, what did you talk to? So we talked to the elders, we talked to uh, the, the members who actually designed the culture. Talked to everybody. said so they don't want it. I said, Did they tell you the reason. They, there was no reason given, they just didn't want it. So uh, I told my two officers to just wait. Stay there in the, um, there's a small, uh, small town uh, at that roadhead. And so stay there and see what happens over the next few days. keep me informed. Those days the connection, the connectivity was also pretty bad. <laughs> and this about the third day they had the community. You uh, know, a, a small business. <laughs> they knew that there were two people here from Narayana, and they had this project, which that now, uh, which the originally planned uh, the community didn't want. So this is a nettle, nettle uh, project, project. Nettle to, to, to make fabric out, of metal. fabric out of. Metal. Yeah. So this other community, uh, they came forward and they said they wanted, they're equally poor, but because they were not on our list of uh, the the community, the entire process had been done with a different community. Uh, They were wondering, now what do we do? Is this community who has expressed interest and they would like to take this up? And so what do we do? So I said, go through the norms, go check out the uh, resource base, uh, do a survey, do the whole thing. So they stayed there for two weeks did all of that and they said "We the convinced that that uh, community genuinely wanted uh, that project so within two weeks or by the third week the project was handed over to them And but I was still very puzzled and I wanted to get to the bottom of why this first uh, community didn't want the project so I requested uh, uh, my sister who was here on the break at that time who was a uh, was an archaeologist with a, a social anthropology sort of combination. So I requested <clears throat> her, we were doing another survey and I requested her, can you go and talk to the community to find out what's wrong. So for a very simple, uh, you know, she submitted a two-patient, which she's still annoyed about because we didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we kind of very silently uh, yeah. ignored her findings. But I mean, the, but that was a big lesson. Uh, for the foundation. This is an earlier taxes that the community paid, was paid in metal uh, ropes and fabric. And that association of that um, was something they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to project that associated metal weaving with. They didn't see it that way. They just thought it was okay, there a cultural a more. stigma associated with metal tax. I don't think it was cultural stigma, but maybe it was difficult at that time. And mm-hmm. that all of that went as taxes, so they didn't get to keep anything. So maybe they thought, okay, we're going to leave this fabric, mm-hmm. and then they didn't make the cash connect at mm-hmm. that time.
3: So they
0: Tarayana is another form of so oh, modernised netto-taxing.
2: <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, but, and, but it was very interesting that two pages, that finding that uh, ultimately surfaced was something so simplistic that we had overlooked. And we knew that was uh, what, what you know, they were good at, and they were paying most of the taxes and that. But, I mean, it was simple nonsense. And we are an organisation, a local organisation, so imagine how much harder you know, foreigners who come and, as uh, development advisors or as uh, uh, program coordinators, how much harder they have to work in trying to figure out what's going on. When they say yes, it doesn't always mean yes. And when they say no, sometimes it doesn't always mean no. So, uh, In the cultural context, I mean, there's still a lot of uh, work that still needs to be done. And Consultation is a good form of starting. But um, in the initial years also, they will tell you what they think you want to hear and not necessarily what is how the fee look. So now, now after so many years of gaining their trust and their confidence so much easier, we get letters and we get requests from quite a lot of different communities asking for our services in their areas uh, where we can do only what we can with the limited resources, both human as well as financials. Uh, uh, it's
0: uh, refreshing to know that you take into account the cultural um, sensitivities of the people. As I've been lately reading about uh, how terribly Red Cross failed in Haiti, and how billions of dollars have been disused. Um Now, coming back to the work you do, um, you have been working for many decades almost in mm-hmm. elevation of poverty and uh, Taraina has done wonderful work in the rural communities. But then with the growing urban population, uh, we seem to also have a significant urban poverty. From the latest uh, poverty figures, I think there are around 800,000 out of 100,000 uh, residents in Timpu who are not meeting the, the poverty line. The sorry, 2,195 new terms per month. Is there any initiative uh, in Tarayana by the government? Should there be strategic ways to cope with urban poverty? Because I think the urban poverty, in a way, is causing more social problems than rural poverty. A lot of our rural villages still have a very strong social support system in place, whereas our urban settlements are new, and we don't have the social support system to look after.
2: That's true. This is an emerging issue um, that didn't necessarily receive a lot of uh, attention, both from the government as well as uh, – and from Tarahana, who our focus was on rural uh, development, But uh, over the years, we've also noticed that a lot of uh, rule, uh, went to rural – maybe somewhat well-to-do rural – children migrate to urban areas and they said they, they do not find a good job, then they are hard pressed into difficult times and uh, rather than write home and you know, try and get some uh, support from home, they try to make things work in the book uh, the and they can't go home because uh, they don't have anything to take with them and they can't stay on here because there's uh, really no job that they'd like. But to say to that there is no job is a misnomer. I think uh, there's still plenty of uh, job opportunities. It's just that what our children look for when they see a job is quite different. The expectation of a job is different. And that mindset we need to change, to be able to change. Because if you're flexible, there are opportunities. But uh, having said that also, urban poverty is a bit masked. If you walk through town, you don't really know who's going hungry. You don't know who's uh, who hasn't had their breakfast or their lunch, or is it fashionable and they're not eating. We don't know that. And there is no monitor. If it is in the rural areas, the entire village knows what's going on in each other's homes. If they don't have enough to eat, people come and help out and sort of, you know, if you have something extra, you go in. and There's no... The, This is constant give and take that's happening in the rural areas because it's the entire community working together. Whereas you're correct in saying that in Temple, very often you don't know our next door neighbors, particularly if you're living in flats. They're changing, uh, the the turnover is quite rapid, rents keep increasing, people can't afford their shift. So there's a lot of things going on that's quite different from what we're used to. So I would term these as new um, uh, issues that warrants better coordinated effort at um, stem. I'm uh, particularly concerned uh, so about young girls and young women who come to either for their jobs or for their high schools, come and stay and have uh, um, their accommodation the is not safe uh, or they have to make do with having to live together with their, uh, lots of friends, not very conducive to uh, their steady habits and patterns. So there are lots of concerns actually and a lot more coordinated approach, uh, a better coordinated approach would help solve uh, some of these particularly particular them. Say for example, the girls' hostel, um, uh, supervise affordable housing for young women who are starting uh, their first jobs. Maybe. So there are lots of uh, safeguards that we could put in place, but then whose job is it? Any yes. plans for Tarek? <laughs> <laughs> we have our hands full with uh, <laughs> the other development at the moment. I wish I would hit the Mirage uh, jackpot or something like that and then maybe we could have uh, you know, a better uh, uh, coordinated approach. Also, there's, there's not enough dialogue happening in urban areas of how to tackle these issues. If neighborhoods are not safe, then it is upon the uh, people living in that area to make it safe. And how do they make it safe? Not by shutting their doors, but then going out into the streets and helping each other and sort of really creating a closer neighborhood uh, system. That's currently lacking. And uh, I mean, like, uh, I'm as guilty as the next person with, uh, what you don't know and you try to put some sort of a, a protective shield so that we are not caught up in this uh, sort of having to deal with so much of the uh, yeah, issues. And then, uh, of course, having worked at Tarayana, the issues follow me too with Tarayana. So uh, we do hear of uh, quite a lot of things that could be done better, more e- efficiently. Uh, we have started uh, with the waste uh, from there to try and make products. And, for single mothers or women to try and get some additional information. So in small ways, we're trying to see how we can provide our holistic uh, approach to uh, people uh, who might need uh, a little bit of a uh, push uh, in, in the urban areas. Uh, so before I open to questions from the
0: audience, uh, this is the ritual of dialogue We also asked our guest, to share uh, a couple, maybe a few tips on how you keep on top of everything. How do you succeed um, in your position with your role? Uh, what are the kind of tips you can share with young people <coughs> to succeed in life? Uh, yes, there are, um, everything is very relative. The
2: energy you put behind it, any goal you set for yourself, is also relative to your desire for that to be fulfilled. So if you want something really bad, you have to work hard, put in that hard work. The magic word, you call luck, you call it uh, whatever, uh, good fortune, all of that is hard work. Good fortune follows hard work. Luck follows hard work. But hard work, in the sense that uh, you're working smart, not necessarily, How 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 do you see? Yeah, (laughs) working long hours, I wouldn't equate it to be hard. Mentally, you have to be alert. So your Mm -hmm. discipline is absolutely uh, crucial, particularly for the younger generation. If you're disciplined, if you're hardworking, then you shouldn't have to worry about uh, you know how and when you're going to achieve what you have to achieve. It's well following fortune favors those who go out there and sort of stick out the neck. And you don't have to be a conformist in every kind you know, scenario situation. If you're a different celebrated verse, that's who you are. If you think differently from the rest of uh, your friends, that's also important because these differences, but you need to be able to, you have to agree to disagree, right? So then you can have a more enriched, uh, enriching dialogue. Right now, we think that if you say yes to everything that uh, someone you feel is superior or uh, senior to you, and then you just say yes to everything, then that's how you get the job done. That isn't necessarily the case, you have live example of someone who's been saying no to many things. Definitely, if you if you can validate your own feelings, and you can explain it, articulate how you feel, what it is that you want the world around you to be like, you have to be able to visualize it and, uh, you know, articulate it and say it out loud. And then stand by it. But unless you're convinced, then you don't make those, you know, take those opposing stands. But once you've taken those stance, then you stand by that.
4: Right? Good evening everyone, I respected sir and Dr. Manum. I have three questions, uh, before that I'll introduce myself. Uh, my name is uttam and currently i am doing intern at Gauteng foundation and i am from misra college as a youth myself uh, working in different uh, or, uh, different youth led organization i have seen that there are many uh, activities that are overlapping example like uh, example like if uh, ngo like if tarani is a youth is working on cleaning campaign another one maybe like Youth Foundation. They are also working on. It. So there is a overlap in the in same activities where they are they are working in like same same thing. They are doing the same thing. So at times I feel that there's uh, there's sometimes there is lack of uh, credibility as well. Although we are doing for the welfare of the people, but there is some we we no don't know who is doing what. So one question is uh, the question is that. How uh, are you as a uh, you know leader of one of the NGO? How are you going to tackle this problem? And another one is uh, uh, <coughs> I'm on the learning stage, so I I always um, see I, I always try to learn from the failures. So I would like to uh, hear from you about well Tara Tara was. Uh, implementing various programs, what are the challenges you see? Oh, one you said about the, you know, uh, <coughs> putting trust on the people. One well, may be that one, but what are the other things that challenges in uh, implementing your programs? And another one is like, <laughs> I'm from Fuzhou, so I, uh, I I do shopping in Indian side, Jagan. So. I most of the time see that there are beggars. And when I come to Thimphu, I was surprised that there are also beggars in Bhutan. So I was a bit you know, surprised about this. Maybe they are not beggars or whatever. I, I don't know, but <laughs> they are found to be begging in the street. So is, is there any new plans or is there any new things that you're going to uh, take into consideration about this issue? Thank you. <coughs> And especially this slavers not the one. Uh, uh, those are mostly old people. <laughs> and, and when I ask, when asks about them, they they always tell the, they they always tell about their rich, you know, background. <laughs> 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 so what's your plan on this? Thank you.
2: for your three questions. Um, uh, regarding the begging beggars, I'll go backwards, uh, the beggars, I know of two, I know of three of them. One, unfortunately, passed away this morning, uh, we'll be creating him tomorrow, so that's uh, one. But these are not actually beggars in the true classical sense of not having anything. They are lonely, oldest citizens who feel that they have a little bit extra money. These are on His Majesty's Kidu list already, and His Majesty provides a stipend (coughs) through the Kidu program. They already provide a stipend, monthly stipend. So they don't necessarily need to be out there begging. But it's this interaction Then you sit and you stop and you chat with them. So that human interaction that they lack. And uh, although, Bhutan is a Buddhist country by and large, and we are compassionate people. We don't necessarily have sufficient time for the senior citizens or for people who are in those sort of conditions. Everyone's rushing by to get their jobs done. So uh, I personally sit and I talk to these people uh, at the chitin also, who are senior citizens, these are parents of rich bureaucrats who sit there and they like that company, they like that social uh, milling around. I have who still insists on sitting at the vegetable market. There are people who know her but she's been sitting there for like uh, X number of days. So she's saying hello to them, bye to them, you know. And then in return, they give her vegetables, she takes those. She doesn't need all those vegetables. She's living by herself. How much vegetables can she eat? But when she goes and distributes those to other people, so it's also a way of social panic. Now, maybe the term is ready for yet another controversial topic of uh, uh, senior citizen care, old age homes, or hospices. For the gentleman who passed away this morning, (coughs) Uh, he's almost 90 years old. Uh, he said no, uh, no, no one visiting him, no one, uh, you know, providing him. with gain. a very, very difficult old gentleman. Uh, one I can imagine his village uh, also they're not very supportive of him. This. He spent his youth not in his community but outside. And so he has lost that connect with this community. He is more he feels more connected to tempo and the life in tempo. But uh, like you say, they talk about the rich uh, um, beginnings and you know the, the conditions. well, that's cycle of life you, there's nothing guaranteed and change is the only thing that is permanent so there the, there are issues. these are senior citizen issues which. Uh, through a more coordinated effort initiated. We have um, uh, lots of organizations now who are trying to gear into uh, uh, taking care of such issues. Taran is not necessarily, uh, that's not our focus here at And we hope uh, we won't have to do that because there are others who are better qualified to look after senior, uh, long-term care for senior citizens on the issue of hospices and uh, old-age homes. Bhutan prides ourselves, or we used to pride ourselves saying that we are a country that takes care of our young as well as our old. But uh, in this day and age, I think there are lots of uh, lonely senior citizens who could do with the North care. So from what Tarayana is doing at the moment, we connect some of these senior citizens with our uh, uh, school clubs. So the school club members go and visit them or go and uh, see them if they're in the hospital, go wash their clothes, clean up their space. But there's very little you can actually do uh, if you're a difficult person and don't want anyone touching your, you know, coming into your living area or touching. So then, uh, Trying to clean up, then we get reports saying that someone's going to try and steal everything of mine. (laughs) So, so when they're difficult, it's it's, extremely difficult. This particular um, gentleman used to be a very difficult thing as well. um, hmm. On the challenges, it's um, resources. Mostly resources. If we had more, we could. Hire more people and therefore uh, deliver our services more efficiently. You were talking about trust. For Tarayana, trust is very important. Those our Tarayana colleagues, our field officers, have to function so far away from Timbo, and is on the basis of trust. We uh, work together with the community, build the confidence. the The community has to have faith in what this individual is going to do. And. This individual has to have the faith and keep that faith also in serving the community. So if we start to, uh, beginning to, you know, if you can identify and empaths and be one with the community, then that is possible. If you see yourself as an outsider, you'll always be that. So the first lesson all our field officers have to do is really embed themselves in the community and start helping and think and work as one of them. So that's, uh, regarding overlaps, that's true, now that we are on 50, 52 registered schools, uh, activities tend to overlap, but um, there are areas of specification, let's like, say for instance, Dariana is working in rural area, mostly focusing on holistic rural development, that's our speciality, but because we are in such rural areas, there's nobody who will come and do cleaning campaigns. And by the way, Tarayana does not do cleaning campaigns. We believe in trying to educate people, or educate people to clean, to pick up after themselves, clean up after themselves. So that we, I don't think it's the youth. This is my personal belief that I don't think uh, youth or the bureaucrats, or for that matter, we should be going around cleaning up uh, the trash of others we have to provide enough civic sense into every citizen so that they're cleaning up their own track, that they're not uh, throwing people wherever they like, conspiting wherever they like you. Know, so that level of work, we hope we can achieve it, you know, sometime soon, but uh, it's still a working progress. I hope I've covered it. Uh, okay. I think we
0: did uh, discuss uh, integrated approach, coordination, and this is still the, um, the pertinent issue be raised often, not only among the NGOs, but also with the, between the public and the private sector, between the NGOs and the government.
2: I feel that personally uh, we, uh, we have a tendency to use a very broad brush when we talk about urbanization and migrations and all. So, uh, and then we also seem to have a tendency to romanticize village life. So, um, I was thinking perhaps the attention could be more on uh, rural urban linkages, like, uh, you know, so my question is how could we perhaps make, uh, perhaps have better linkages between rural urban areas so that one benefits from the other, rather than talking about uh, trying to stop migration or, you know, building artificial boundaries between urban and rural areas, especially in a context like Bhutan where we don't have the mega cities, but we're talking about towns, small towns, (coughs) smaller towns, (coughs) and maybe one or two big towns. (coughs) Definitely. rural Urban Connect is what we have to all uh, hope for, achieve, (coughs) work towards. I think that that is uh, key. If you know where your roots are and if you can reinvest into developing that, at the same time as uh, you develop your career or you develop your businesses, letting it grow, if you can think of how your business can benefit the rural areas, for instance, raw materials are a little bit more expensive if you procure it locally, but if it brings about When you talk about uh, the economics of happiness, I think that was the discussion a couple of uh, months ago. They were touching upon issues like this, of uh, sourcing raw material from one area, finished products going in as raw materials in the next village. So what are the designs and uh, what are the uh, product designs that can lend itself into this instead of just being uh, uh, if you look at it purely from an economic point of view, maybe it does not, uh, <coughs> that's not the best option. But because it will benefit uh, growth at multiple levels, both in the urban areas as well as in rural areas, and what, sort of, what are the possibilities. So if we can train ourselves to think along those lines, if we can look at options that are not necessarily only linear, but look at it, uh, from all points of view and sort of see which can uh, get you better net return taking into consideration job creation, use of raw <coughs> material, natural environment uh, protection, all of that if you look at it and sort of so what Tashi uh, has uh, pointed out uh, it's, it's very pertinent and it is the need of the art. We are definitely not uh, only city or only uh, uh, rural areas are sort of <coughs> people who move between these two and opportunities lie in both areas there's a lot of uh, natural resources in the rural areas that could be tapped efficiently ethically legally because right now what's happening uh, we don't know whether everything uh, is uh, without uh, the full consent or the full awareness of what the potentials are by the local communities themselves being exploited by other people who are uh, more educated or better informed then it creates further imbalances, so preventing those sort of uh, exploitation but looking at what can benefit uh, both businesses as well as uh, the resource providers. I think we have a lot of potential there. coordinated effort is uh, required, and uh, as Dr. <coughs> pointed out about the need for better coordination, at the JDHC uh, the has also, uh, in their guidelines for the 12th plan, this came across very very strongly, this is one of the three C's right? And so we are expected to uh, work more collaboratively in a better fashions, uh, we are kind fashion, of, so we look forward to uh, seeing these worlds being implemented. Um, if I may
0: chip in a little bit on this issue of linkages between rural villages and uh, urban <coughs> settlers, um, certainly we need the, uh, the physical infrastructure uh, to do mm-hmm. that. Uh, that helps a great deal, as you pointed out, but there's one very specific Bhutanese thing that's happening, and that is the uh, village associations that are mostly based in urban areas, like Timbu, the, the Barsam Sokpa, the Bidung Sokpa, the Soppa, I think almost all the major villages are represented here, and in fact, a lot of us actually have closer friends and family members here from the original village with whom we mix, uh, who we would meet for funerals or weddings or whatever, more than our office colleagues or uh, next-door neighbor. And I think this is a very unique opportunity that we can actually build these associations to help their original villages to develop. And I must thank us for extending your support beyond the registered PCSOs to even community-based organizations. And I think this is the way forward, especially to create the social linkage, that if you support the village groups here to carry out projects in their own village, we should be giving them financial resources, other kinds of resources. To and they are the most committed to do that, much more than an NGO worker or a bureaucrat from another
5: village. First, rather a perspective, uh, and maybe uh, a question. Uh, thanks, uh, listening to the issue of old age, so I sense a kind of, and of course, seeing some, meeting some people in Tempur, so uh, I sense we are losing our values of and not knowing neighbourhood in our own uh, living in the same house, uh, same building. So these are kind of a telling evidences of how our communities are involved. Of course, we cannot really reverse the trend, but then how do we really incorporate as we progress on. And the uh, other thing is, as uh, young people, preferring urban and of course coupled with the school choices and preferences. So as we study and get exposure, so what we are losing is the cultural grounding. So when we do not have that cultural root, then we do not really uh, identify with the cause and the issues of our own community. And then I think that uh, largely is with how our schooling system is. So I wish uh, there were some uh, official from Ministry of Education here, so that my views are heard. So what I see as an option is this school kind of a school setting. So to pick from what uh, doctor has mentioned about village-based association. So I'm into my third year in civil service. So my circle of kind of a network is more of school friends than village-based associations. So how can how our school? really foster that kind of a community living.
2: Thank you. In interesting uh, questions, yes, about values. Value is something you cannot literally shove down anyone's throat. As you all, it's up to each individual to pick and choose how they want to shape up as uh, citizens, global citizens that we are now. Uh, in that respect, I think parents, at least my parents used to drum it into us uh, what's right and what's wrong and things like that. Now, if I took that same method and tried to insert it in my son, it would have misfired. So we have to each generation pick and choose uh, how we communicate values and ethical uh, uh, and and pass that uh, value system down to the next generation. I believe very strongly that my generation, we feel quite miserably constrained that <laughs> there are so many people who are confused as to what is right and what's wrong. Now, if you look at a global trend, we seem to start, you know, with now, but these have also started valuing wealth well, more than they value um, uh, other aspects of development. Um, if you look at how the world measures, a successful person is by the bottom line. You look at who are the richest in the world, these are the exploiters of, uh, you know, I mean, how have they amassed that much wealth? they exploited nature, exploited people, maybe created jobs, but. Uh, uh, so when these are then branded as successful, by that, maybe that big global center. Now, if you look at it, from a smaller uh, Bhutanese lens. We are also starting to brand successful people as those who drive around big uh, vehicles or who own multiple homes and things like that. So yes, there is definitely an erosion of what we used to consider important uh, in a generation um, that's different from yours All of you are from the next generation. So for each generation, I think we have to have uh, enough sounding as to what what it is that you want. It comes back to the question of earlier, I was saying you have to visualize the world that you want for yourself. And in that visualization, values have to continue to play an important role. Otherwise, then you're choosing, uh, we would be no different, we, we are in this land of uh, G&H. Uh, so we have that development philosophy as a guide. But uh, how much of that is lip service and how much of it is uh, truly from your heart that you make a daily effort and daily um, strive towards meeting those goals of happiness not just for yourself but for everyone <clears throat> so if you can uh, <coughs> I think the doctor is more qualified to talk on
0: that is than I am, so <laughs> I'm this, a social worker. this is a very complex topic so <laughs> let me not get into it but, <laughs> so now, uh, do you have a very quick question
3: yeah. short uh, I got an opportunity to compile the data on the empty house, especially when I was working as a researcher in Al-Tuzong, Tashkent, Tashkent. But uh, in th- I, I was very worried about Tashkent because, according uh, to even the UNDP, Tashkent is the highest rate in internal migrations. So I, out of 86,000, uh, 8,070 uh, 8, houses in Tashkent districts, uh, uh, 983 households mm-hmm. out of Mtong and being from me out of out of 747 to, uh, uh, 125 to between the 95 out of uh, 292 households and person 150 out of 462 by the count of 43 Mtong and 2 households out of uh, 799 households mm-hmm. over 57. So, and Culling 66, Luman 85, 86. Yeah. Some so, so, can you answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> fantastic figures
0: to support what I was earlier
3: saying. <laughs> so, uh, so, when I asked these villagers, what is the main reason for this uh, living there, having an empty house? They respond to that, uh, as we mentioned, rightly mentioned earlier, first, uh, uh, school uh, children who for education. So once they get job, parents follow them. And the second thing is uh, uh, generally, participate generally uh, expect uh, expected to their daughter to marry someone from urban areas, and their child, child, their son will be employed in the sector companies. So that, that may that that another reason why they are let uh, enter house in most part of the eastern Bhutan. Yeah. So my question is that Tharun uh, has uh, walked every room of the corner of the country to encourage the rural people to hold back the uh, people in the villages. So, other than that, uh, what are the policies, what are the uh, or what are the objectives or plans uh, uh, to have uh, in order to hold or uh, stay the people in the rural area? This is my question. Do you have (coughs) other programs in these villages?
2: Don't I just want to it? I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, do you know, was there a follow-up question as to whether they've settled permanently
3: elsewhere? Like, have they bought land at the or borrow and settled there? Like, some with like, their own homes. In, in the town, they sit in the town, and some they are going for beer, <laughs> in the beer before they are uh, some changes. So and at the same time, when the communities they held some important functions or so even they hold in the local temples, and only the old, only the old people are for important. So many the uh, young people are migrate to other uh, area, in order to get some jobs. So, so in this regard, uh, as you have told as well. Uh, looking for the we uh, want people to go you know to engage we encourage the people to set up so many so many activities in you know, order to, to, to you know to, uh, to hold holding the thing.
2: We we did not get any requests from these two or three or these uh, communities. Many villages villages that you've mentioned, but uh, Samzongkar, uh, we haven't touched because of Samzongkar Initiative. There's already another civil society organization working there, so we haven't touched them. Uh, But in Tashikam, we've gone to Narayan and something, but not to the others, Uh, only because of uh, resource limitations. But well, I'm interested in the common one. If there are empty houses and common students, Sheraton students don't have enough housing, mm-hmm. it's a perfect match right there. So, uh, <laughs> I don't the think the list though.
3: No, in it your list? That's
2: a lot of houses. (coughs) Yes. can provide rooms for students. definitely there's a lot we could do. There's a lot that needs to be done. But whether it is Narayana who does it or the local governments, local governments might be more effective if they have central plans or or local level plans and budgeted plans to try and entice young people to come back to their villages. Otherwise, so long as this trend continues of them, seeing it as life improvement, if they can buy a property land <coughs> elsewhere, and settle down there, then maybe what we need to tell it is they sell that piece of property, and then it becomes available to somebody who needs it. Yes. We
0: have one final question to you, yes, uh, and that is a uh, question that we ask all the guests. Bhutan Dharov offers two titles from the New York uh, sellers list. Which two titles
2: did you choose and why? <laughs> if you have chosen, maybe I didn't choose. I did. I did. I uh, Lincoln and the part of. I thought that was uh, oh, okay. uh, only because it's a fiction, but I thought um, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's an award winner, and I hadn't read it. I had this opportunity of getting a free book, so I was like, <laughs> that this one. And the other one, I was intrigued by this it entire Russia. The, The total, you know, the totality, I should say. Is the title of the book? Yeah, how Russia is being reclaimed by that. So, um, I thought that you give some insight as to what's happening uh, under Putin. It's just, I try and balance uh, what I read, try and do a wider search of what I read. this was another topic that was by uh, uh, someone who's award so I thought, so. since one question and one more fiction. Thank you. Um, with that, uh, I'd like to thank
0: uh, Shimi for joining us, and all of you. Uh, we like to imagine this place to be a space for mindful listening, for righteous speech, and critical thinking, I hope this has triggered uh, ideas and thoughts to you. Um, I often wind up by giving you a local, traditional Bhutanese piece of wisdom. Last uh, session, I think I was quoting Chandrakirti on the importance of wealth as part of human well-being. Today, I thought I will uh, come even more closer to our rural wisdom, and uh, something that's very relevant to our forum here. Chiki logically. The decision through discussion of three middling persons is better than the idea of the best person. So with that, thank you all and see you next month.